we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. The transfer portal is closed, at least to get in. Wonder how many people got trapped in there. The coaching carousel, at least on the assistant level, will continue to spin. And what about the draft? This is the College Game Day podcast for Thursday, January 19th. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel back together again. We're going to talk a little basketball from time to time, but this will still primarily be a college football and upcoming draft-driven edition of the podcast, and that will be the way it is going forward for the next several weeks when we join you. So, uh, Pete, good morning. Good to, uh, good to see you again. We've talked, uh, but not on podcast in between. I want to thank you publicly and in front of everybody for the uh, Whitey Bulger book that you sent me. I'm, <laughs> I'm working my way through it, not as quickly as I'd like as things have come up, but uh, thank you for that. Pete's a thoughtful guy. I mentioned in a podcast that I was fascinated by Whitey Bulger, something that I'd never spoken to Mike Leach about, which was surprising to me, as Mike was. And all of a sudden, one day, this book appears, and it's fascinating. I'm, I'm, I appreciate you uh, sending that. That's been fun. We'll give some props to the uh, Boston Globe authors. I believe Shelley Murphy and Kellen Cullen, uh, Kevin Cullen wrote the book that I sent you. Uh, I read it a couple of years ago, and living in South Boston, especially during the time of Whitey's capture and then his trial was about a mile down the street. It certainly uh, captured the imagination. So for any uh, for any gangster fans out there, uh, <laughs> it really does reveal what a, what a hideous guy he was. I, we, we make light of him as, but boy, was he a bad guy. Yeah, and, right. Uh, they let you know in resplendent detail. Whew. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we had we have a mutual. I don't mind he, because it was a joke, and it was after it was over. Uh, I'll never forget Sean McDonough. We were at a big dinner one night, and Sean McDonough's father had grown up with Whitey, and that's detailed in the book uh, to some degree. But we were at a dinner one night, and uh, I think the, maybe the movie had just come out, Black Mass, and I'd been reading. I really didn't know a lot about him prior to this, and. I found out that there was a connect connection in the past, not not to cast aspersions at, at Sean's father, Will, who was a wonderful sports writer or anything. Yeah. But there was a you have to read the book. There was a lot of intertwining of people who grew up in that area of Boston. And um, jokingly, I, I asked Sean, I said, hey, explain to these guys who Whitey or what you think of when you think of Whitey Bulger and Sean goes misunderstood but you know, it was, it was it, I just want to clarify it was a joke it was vintage yes. McDonough yes. cynicism and sarcasm yes. but, dark you know, sarcasm yeah yes. it was uh it was it was funny but anyway thank you for that that's been a, yeah. a nice distraction and in some ways uh there there's been a lot of uh intrigue and comings and goings with the transfer portal I feel like that while I make the transition into basketball, that in some ways, because of the portal, because of the assistant coaching changes, that your job in some ways ratchets up as soon as the national championship game is over. I don't know if it ratchets up, but it, it, it's a steady stream of a different kind of busy. It's not a build up to a game. It's not a build up to a kind of a moment. It's just sort of this this portion of the job didn't exist 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like this just... 
Um, and, and look, it's it's really important. Um, you know, the, the quarterbacks that are that are still out there, like Spencer Sanders doesn't have a place to play right now. Um, yeah, like there are like really key people. I mean, he was a conference player of the year. He was the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year two seasons ago, and he's still sitting out there on the market. Um, and then it, it's kind of a drumbeat to set up the start of spring, where then at the end of spring, we're going to have another wave of guys who lose quarterback battles and then go. And the quarterbacks are the, the engine of a multi-billion dollar business. It's that simple. In college in college football, it's the coaches and it's the quarterbacks. And I think it's a little bit of a distant third in a lot of ways. So where the coaches and coordinators go, which we're sort of learning and piecing together here, and then obviously where uh, where, where these quarterbacks end up to sort of be the centerpieces of these programs, we're going to, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're settling into the final phase i would say of the of the january version of that and then there'll be there'll be another version of that so you'd be amused to know at the portal closed that um and we're, we're taping this the morning after the portal closed so midnight there that i was told there will be a flurry of movement uh with assistant coaches and coordinators because they basically what they asked the coaches don't don't leave until the portal's closed so our guys can't leave okay you know what I want to talk quarterbacks here, but th- that just sort of leads me to to a couple of things. I mean, there's there's Pete Golding leaving Alabama to go to Ole Miss, and we we've seen this play out in various ways uh, over the years. Sometimes, um, you know, working for Nick is hard, uh, but it's also gratifying in a lot of ways. It depends on your personality. There have also been times when uh, I don't I don't know that I recall, unless you want to count Lane Kiffin. I don't know that I recall Nick Saban ever firing a coach. He, he always finds um, a soft landing, graceful exit for people. I don't know for sure. It depends on who you talk to about which way that one went. Um, but either could be, could be possible. That's one thing. Um, TCU getting Kendall Bryles after Garrett Riley went to Clemson. All of these are kind of predictable. I'm going to start in an odd place, though. What's happening at Arkansas? I mean, you leave Arkansas to go to TCU. You had this odd exit of players last year, starters in the defensive secondary, leaving Arkansas to go to LSU. You've had a number of guys leave there. Is this pure NIL stuff or is is there and we all look, we all love Sam Pittman. He's great on game day and you know, turn on that jukebox and I'm gonna have one of them old cold beers. It he's fun. We like him. But what's happening there, or is it nothing? Is it just the way it is right now with the with the culture and the, the way things are in the college football universe? I think it's a little bit of of life at the bottom of a of a big powerhouse league. Um, there is just going to inherently be the the gravitational forces of college football are going to prompt more turnover. Um, I think about Arkansas. And look, it's a good job. It's a proud place. They've won there, but it's a have-not job in the SEC, and it's certainly a have-not job in the SEC West. And uh, because of that, because you have very few local kids who go there, right? Arkansas has some players, but it's not Texas. It's not Florida. So you're going to have a lot of people coming from the outside there. That gives you a little bit more inherent temptation to leave. And I think that Kendall Browse is a serial flirt, so his his leaving doesn't stun doesn't stun me. Uh, remember, he was the OC when Major Applewhite got fired at Houston. He was the OC when Willie Taggart got fired at Florida State. He was good at good at FAU with Lane. And 
I would say he was good at Arkansas, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say he blew the doors off. Um, he he flirted hardcore with Miami, left them at the doorstep last season. Did the same to Mississippi State this season. So I, I think at a certain point, like that's not a building block for your program. That's a that's a that's a you know he's he established himself as a free agent who is going to leave when not if so, uh, but I I would I would not be surprised if there are some hurt feelings because the the Mississippi State thing like he was all but signed there for forty eight hours, and so when you, when you go back and and if you're Arkansas and you had to pony up more money and you had to go through the dance when TCU comes calling I had a feeling there was a little bit of exhaustion so that was one where I think they were trying to wait for the portal to close it broke uh, it broke yesterday uh, it broke Wednesday morning that he was uh, that he was going and look he's from Stephenville obviously and coached in Texas etc but yeah it, it's you know with Kendall Bryles comes some some good good production and then there's obviously some baggage too he had NCA issues uh his own not just the, the his father's NCA issues at Baylor and uh you know with him comes some you know just comes some some thorny topics I saw Brenda Tracy yesterday on uh, on Twitter speaking out against the the hire so that's you you, you go when you go in on the brows you go in on them schematically there's a tempo there that you know is also an adjustment for your program TCU recent you can correct me if I'm wrong didn't go like, you know, they didn't snap the ball every eight seconds last year. Now they were spread and they, and they moved a little bit, but they weren't, you know, they didn't evoke the old Baylor. So they can, that, that's the ratchet to the next level. But it's a, it's a, it's an interesting move. Um, do, you, do you think that's a good move for TCU? Um, possibly. I mean, I think Sonny, Sonny gives some autonomy as we learned a lot this year, but he's also, you know, he's also an air raid guy, <clears throat> air raid guy who knows his stuff. So he can keep his, keep his hand in it. Um, so I, I think it, I think it was, I think it's probably the beneficiary in all of it potentially is Clemson. And it's not because I'm going to sit here and say, wow, after one year, Garrett Riley invented offensive football, you know, but he did a really good job with TCU this year. And as we talked about on the show and caught some grief for Clemson needed a little injection of, of, I want. I don't want to say life because that makes it seem like they weren't trying or they were dead. They needed new ideas. They needed some freshness, and that happens in a program, even one as great as Clemson's is. Sometimes you need someone from the outside to do something a little bit different. And so I think that while Kendall Bryles, along with Sonny, that'll work out just fine at TCU. Potentially the biggest beneficiary in this will be Clemson. Again, I'm not ordaining Garrett Riley as you know the the master of all offense. But I do think that having some fresh ideas from the outside and a new perspective and a guy who hasn't been there, um, as attractive as that is, the continuity that Clemson has had over the years, sometimes you need to do something different. If you find the guy that you think you can fit, uh, fit well into the staff and will do that, it can let you use your talent a little better than perhaps Clemson's been able to the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, I, I think it's undabo like in, in a lot of ways it's very early Dabo see there Dabo fired him that was his friend that was hard for Dabo he went out and brought in Chad Morris I believe was the first outside guy he had brought in Venables before that I want to say that was the order about 10 years ago and those were really the rocks that Clemson was built on uh schematically recruiting wise um Dabo by you know, by all our early glimpses, appears to have a, a, a world of talent. Um, I, I will say this for Brandon Streeter: the talent around 
the quarterback position simply hasn't been what it was there. You can't judge the talent compared to four years ago there when they were winning national titles. They had multiple first-round picks at receiver. They were better on the O-line. They were never elite on the O-line. They never had O-lines that had three, you know, first, second-round picks. Like, they... But they've, they've been pedestrian on the uh, O-line, and they're good at tailback right now, but that, that you know it's not first-round picks scare the daylights out of you t- at tailback. So like it's it's never one thing. It's never, oh, the scheme went stale. These guys know all know a lot about football. It's, 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 it's compound interest of you're 10% worse at tailback, and you're 30% worse at receiver, and you're... 20% worse than an already kind of middling O-line. And then you have maybe a quarterback with some limitations in a scheme that's not creative enough to tailor it all together. I hope, I hope it works out as well for Brandon Streeter as it yes. has for Billy Napier, um, you know, because he was able to really jumpstart his career and ended up uh, with head coaching jobs, did a great job at Louisiana, getting things off the ground at Florida. And he has his own issues at, at quarterback right now. What what do you make of this whole uh, Jaden Rashada thing of star uh, high school recruit? Apparently, there was an agreement for a $13 million NIL deal that came apart with the Gator Collective. Now he wants out of it. And this underscores everything that the critics uh, hate about, uh, about using NIL as enticement. Because you put together this, I mean, on both sides. Number one, if Rashada chose them solely because of the amount of money he was going to make, that's that's a that's a problem in most cases. If Florida or its collective or its representatives, whoever it is, made offers that they can't back up or won't or decide they don't want to back up, that's a problem, and it really. It kind of, to me, almost is the microcosm of what I've been saying. This is a professional enterprise and we're going to have to have contracts. That's all there is to it. Because that way you can't say, hey, if you sign with us, we're going to do, you know, our collective. I mean, not to the coaches, whoever, whoever made the deal with Rashada, you got a $13 million deal. Oh, yeah. You know what? Uh, we don't, how, how about seven? You know? I mean, you don't get to do that in, in life and in business. And that... It really, to me, epitomizes just about everything that people on both sides of the arguments critique about using NIL as an inducement to get someone to sign, as opposed to allowing them to capitalize on their value individually as uh, as a gator or a hurricane or Seminole or whoever. Well, as the story evolved recently, that's a great point. I feel like this whole story has been a mockery of the NIL will not be a recruiting inducement. Well, I mean, it was just, like literally it's like a Saturday Night Live sketch showing what a what a just parody that that idea is. And we all knew when NIL came in that it would it would be a recruiting inducement. There was no way it wasn't going to be. So a uh, couple things. I, I made some calls on the Rashada thing yesterday and uh, spoke to some folks. So. It's, it's inherent to the, the, the fundamental tension that you speak of. The Gator Collective, which issued the deal initially that was signed that they were not able to obviously pay for, um, doesn't have anything to do traditionally with Florida. Now, there are some ties and they're a sponsor and everything like that, but it's not like Billy Napier shows up at the Gator Collective and right. says, give Rashada 13 million. So, right. It's sort of a, 
uneasy truce of trust. And the Rashada one, you can almost see like Rashada going in front of Congress in two years when they're trying to figure this stuff out. You know what I mean? It felt, it feels like that kind of story. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Um, so it, the, the Gator Collective, as it has evolved, um, you know, it, it, I don't think the Gator Collective in Florida will be doing much business anymore. That That's what it was sold to me. The, the quote yesterday from uh, from some sources at Florida was the university has serious questions about the relationship. And it, and it makes sense. Uh, I don't think from the conversations I've had, Reese, I don't think Florida would want someone to, to have a $13 million contract. Like that just doesn't, that's just nonsensical when you look at the market. Like even the, you know, when you see, when you see the Drake May for 5 million rumors and those were not true, but those are rumors, like it even blows that out of the water and the kid's never thrown a pass. So yeah. someone, someone freelanced, they couldn't back it up. And now there's the egg though, goes on the face of Billy Napier and the football program. It goes on the face of the administration. I would think. 80% of college football fans don't understand it, nor should they, by the way. Like, it's right. like expecting NBA fans to understand the nuances of salary cap. These are, mm-hmm. you know, these are problems of the system. But, like, fans don't understand that it wasn't Billy Napier writing the check. It was, right. uh, you know, it was it was someone else from the uh, from the outside. So, you feel for Jaden Rashada, you know, an 18-year-old kid who was going to go 3,000 miles away to go to school, thought he had, look, that's life-changing money, life, and positioned yeah. it, and, yeah. like, there you are. There's a contract sitting in front of you for that much money. So I have a lot of empathy for the Rashadas. I never would criticize a kid for taking the best deal, right? No, I, I don't I don't think it's wise to make your decision solely. It's yeah. not wise long term, regardless of your age. But you're right about that. Uh you're right in a sense that you I don't criticize any player for taking if somebody's trying to give you money for something like that, I mean, you can't say you know, I mean, if you don't want to go to Florida and you can make, you feel like based on your talent, your uh, marketability or whatever, you feel like you can still make four, five, six million dollars someplace else. You don't really want to go to Florida, but you're going to go because of this. That's that's a mistake, you know, and even no matter how much money it is, you have to do it. I mean, you have to uh, recognize that and not do it. But <laughs> but, you know, if it's close or if it's, you know, if it's like, well, you know, I kind of like Florida. Oh, now 13 million. I really like Florida. I, I don't have any, I don't have any uh, bad feelings toward uh, Jaden Rashad or anyone else for a yeah. decision like that. I think important to to note here is that this is going to be a flashpoint. I don't think there's any argument about that. This is going to be a, you know, a headline that reverberates through the off season and hopefully prompts some evolution of the rules. Um, so basically like, you can, you know, places have to fulfill the checks that they sign or mm-hmm. the promises that they make. Um, Jen Rashada is not the only athlete this season to be promised something and have not be delivered. I think all year long, and you probably heard the same thing, there were unhappy mm-hmm. players walk for the coach, right? He's got to call the collective and be like, hey, what the heck? Like, my dudes aren't getting, you know, getting theirs. What's happening? Like, that was a far more common scenario this year mm-hmm. than, than that percolated up. And I have a feeling this off season will start to color in the lines on some of those stories of, of guys who, uh, you know, w- went out and, and, and chose places or chose to stay at places for an agreed upon uh, dollar amount. And then that dollar amount was not delivered to them. And in some ways I don't blame athletes. Like it, it like if, if you're going to, if you're going to guarantee someone something, you, you need to come through with it. 
Heck yeah. I mean, no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you've got to live up to your, to your deals. As I think about this, and I hadn't thought about this prior to the podcast, but just as you were talking about that, I remember when this first started, and I still believe this to a degree, I just don't know if we can tolerate the pain it will take to get there. But I do believe that the market will take care of itself. This might be an example of the market correcting yeah. itself a little yes. bit. People got over their skis with the Rashada deal. The other ones that you mentioned, they've happened at some predictable places. Um, and, you know, this might be a little bit of a market correction. Uh, we all react and want somebody to fix it right now. And that's probably the best thing for the sport. I'm not sure that's possible until we find out who would collectively bargain with whom and how that would work. But, and that's not a panacea. That doesn't mean it's going to fix every little thing if they suddenly find a way to bargain this out. But it will certainly make it more orderly uh, once that happens. But in this case, this could be a bit of a market correction because now, even though coaches can't really, as you perfectly pointed out, can't and don't and don't have time to really get involved in all this collective stuff and you pay him this and you pay him that and act like a general manager in the NFL. The one thing they can do is to make sure that their guys aren't getting hosed and they don't want to be any part of their guys getting hosed because that that will have a trickle-down effect of wrecking your team. And I don't care who you are. That kind of thing will wreck your career. You know, if you, if you lose a team and have it crumble because of something like that, uh, you, you can lose your job no matter how much success you've had over a period of time if it's not rectified. So it's, uh, it's a big deal. And how quickly yeah. the market corrects is probably, a, uh, probably an indicator of, of how coaches are going to have to react to it and how they can save themselves from it. Yeah. And market's a great word, Reese. Let, let me put a bow on it with this. Don't underestimate the dynamics of the Miami-Florida rivalry in this. Remember, Rashada mm -hmm. was committed to Miami. It was, again, reportedly, supposedly $9 million. And then all of a sudden, he's at Florida for 13. Like, don't don't think those guys in the booster set who are in the same country clubs and travel in the same beach club circles and are in the same worlds, don't think that rivalry doesn't put pressure points to, oh, well, we need to get him more. We need to get him more. You know, it's the it's the same thing, the old stories of lore of the, uh, you know, the bag men and, uh, and and how they would they would gin up money. It's just above board now until it's not. Yeah, uh, that was the thing. Um uh, Stephen Godfrey wrote an unbelievable piece about some of the bag men. He wrote it several years ago. And basically, the central tenet of it was this. If you wanted to be involved in player acquisition, then you, you didn't know the coach. You didn't go to the country club with the coach. You didn't have your picture made with the coach. You don't know the coach. You're, you're just in the player acquisition business yes. and keeping a, a proper distance. If you wanted to know the coach, then you donated the money. And I'm paraphrasing broadly. If yes. Steven listens to this, he, you know, he probably will say, you got this all wrong. But if you want to know the coach, then you donate the money to put your name on the locker room or the weight room or something. That, you know, that, that was the difference. Player acquisition, you kept on the low, and that's changed a little bit with this collective. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We've got uh, Matt Miller, our NFL draft guru, joining us now to talk a little draft. I want to do one thing that sort of uh, weaves in the NFL and college together. I really thought, Pete, and I know you have to have a taker, and Matt, I'd really be interested in your take on this too. I thought, I thought Jim Harbaugh was probably gone to the NFL. That appears, that appears to not be the case now. Uh, last year, I know, you know, he went to Minnesota and talked to them, and there were reportedly teams interested this year. Uh, Matt will bring, bring you in first, and then, Pete, I'd love to know your reaction to it, too. I expected Jim Harbaugh to leave, to go to the NFL, and it appears he's not going to. What did you, you think, Matt? Welcome, Matt. Yeah, Reese, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. I, I was shocked as well. Pete, I really thought this would be the year, right? Like you said, last year, the, the flirtation was serious with the Minnesota Vikings. So it seemed like, okay, this is the year. And, and you guys cover college football better than anyone. You you know this better than anyone. To me, it feels like Michigan has kind of reached the peak of the mountain. Like, how much higher can Jim Harbaugh take Michigan? You know, you've had back-to-back years beating Ohio State. You've made the college football playoffs. Can you win a national championship? Can you can you overcome a Georgia or an Alabama? Can you consistently keep Ohio State down? To me, it seemed like the the time was right for him to parlay that into the NFL job that he has seemed to want so badly. So it's definitely a surprise for me. You know, it's a, it's it's a good point, Matt. I you know the 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 distance from three to one essentially that Michigan has to travel is a pretty good distance, and. Uh, Look, they would have played Georgia more competitively in the national title game and more competitively than TCU did, certainly, and I think more competitively than last season when they uh, when they played in the Peach Bowl. But that said, I don't think any of us sitting here with a straight face would have predicted that they were going to win that game either. So, um, yeah, you know, one of the interesting dynamics, and Matt, you know more of the nuance of the NFL hiring rules than I do. The, the college, college football hiring, God bless it, is quintessentially college. It is private planes, dark of night, shotgun marriages, <laughs> like boost. Like it is, it is a beautiful All the stuff mesh. we love, Matt. NFL, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what right. we, we lean into Flight the chaos here. And that is, that yeah. is the chaos. The NFL is really refined. 
And you can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but this week, post wildcard, I believe, um, is the first time that people with jobs open can sit down with candidates, correct? Isn't there, aren't there the refined rules in that way? Yeah, there's, it's not quite as shadowy. There are ways around it, of course. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. This was the first week where you can do, Previously, you could do like what we're doing right now. You could do a you know a Zoom or a virtual yes. interview, but yep. this was the first week where you could actually sit down with people, and I think there's a benefit to that. It's why we're we're probably going to see the the open jobs get filled you know very quickly. We've seen the two general manager jobs get filled once mm -hmm. those restrictions were kind of lifted. So yeah, it's it's definitely not as you know backdoors college football hirings might be. There's not as you know there's not a Reddit thread you know devoted to tracking where everybody's flying around. But also think out. like. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Adam Schefter could handle the the craziness of <laughs> of hiring season if it was that way. He'd probably but be on I the plane do, knowing Adam. So, like, that, actually, you're right. Yeah, I do think Harbaugh has ways around it, just like everyone does. You know, I mean, yeah. he's he's so well connected, but um, it was a surprise. But I, but the point, I guess, Matt was like, this is the first week could have hired him, kind of. Yeah. So that's for if you're a college football coach and your season ends on January first. That is an eternity to go to January 17th, just to pick a day. That's an eternity of limbo. And his interview, his Zoom with the Broncos, which I believe was last mm -hmm. Monday. So that's now 10 days ago, let's just say. Boy, that's a long time to leave an entire university. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, bring up the, I bring up the point to say that I think that set of situations made this difficult for Jim Harbaugh. But I also think projecting forward – it's going if you are going to go hire a college coach. That's it's the the set of circumstances, and I appreciate and know why the NFL laid them out, and I'm not criticizing it at all. I'm just saying that boy, it's harder to hire a college coach now than it was you know before all these rules because it's so fragile. And once it comes out that you're talking to somebody, you, you put your whole program in flux. And Harbaugh did it last year by going to talk to the Vikings on signing day, if I believe, in, in, in quintessential Jim Harbaugh fashion. And so, again, he, he put his program in flux for eight, ten days again this year before uh, calling uh, calling Santa Ono, backing up a, a, a bus over Ward Manuel, his AD, by just straight up going around him and then uh, and then sort of waving a flag about how he went around him to get the to get and there's no contract, by the way. Like he's just said he's coming back. Like they haven't agreed to a new deal yet or anything. So it's all it's all sort of perfectly bizarre Jim Harbaugh in uh in 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 a lot of ways. And uh but I think my takeaway from tracking this for the last two weeks is that yeah, I'm not saying no college coaches are ever going to be hired or anything dr dr dramatic like that, but the the way the rules are set now, boy, does it make it hard. And, and look at look at the guys, and I'm not one of those guys who thinks that college coaches can't or won't have success in the NFL, but they haven't <laughs> right. recently, by and large, with the exception of Harbaugh. And you also have seen a number of guys have success coming from the coordinator ranks in the NFL who are young guys who probably, in all fairness, wouldn't do well as a college head coach because of the things they have to, uh, things they have to handle. I watch, when I'm watching the NFL and I watch the playoffs, I, I was thinking the other night, and I don't want to call any names to cast any aspersions because I don't know these guys personally, but I'm sitting there looking going, yeah, I can't see him as a head coach at Michigan yeah. or at Ohio State or Alabama. He, he's not ready for that. Yeah. You know, and it, it's a really odd dynamic of a guy – who would be suited to do both. But the other thing that's happening for sure 
is that because of the calendar in college and the fact that there is no let up because you're recruiting your own players, they're going in the portal. We just finished talking about this NIL collective deal at Florida, and that's not the only place where they've had issues like that. There are guys in our sport who are dying lousy to get to the NFL, to have some, not that they think it's easy, but so that they can have some type of structure to their life and their career. Really, they can, you know, they're they're not going to walk into the office one day without having had the general manager give them any type of heads up. And oh, by the way, uh, your entire defensive secondary is gone. Wait, what? You know, I mean, there are things that, that is very attractive to to college coaches right now about coaching in the NFL. So, Matt, I'm going to interject for a little inside podcast fodder here. Uh, Reese, we need to know about your Jaguar fandom. Woo, baby. <laughs> and was So, Reese yeah. moved to Jacksonville recently, and he's sort of become a reluctant adopter. And he's it's sped up this season of being a Jag <laughs> fan. <Yeah. laughs> and so, we were we were texting over the weekend. I, of course, went to bed and missed the whole comeback because I have a 11-month-old, and I just didn't really think they were going to win, and I was tired. So, Reese, how, how did the great comeback shape your Jag fandom and can you topple the mighty Chiefs this weekend? Are you using we? Yes, I'm, I'm using we. Okay, let me tell let me tell Matt how this works. Matt, I, I grew up quick college football fan, died in the wool, liked the NFL. I, my allegiances have shifted. When I was a little kid, I was a Saints fan because I loved Archie Manning. Uh, then then I was an Elway fan, but I never really locked in on a team. Okay. So in my house, my wife went to Auburn, went to Alabama. Our kids are, are divided. So, uh, but they were Falcons fans. So I was sort of, you know, I, I rooted for the Falcons in the Super Bowl and stuff like that. And yeah, sorry. kind of just followed, followed the guys that I, yeah, just followed the guys I liked in college. That was my, and the guys I enjoyed covering in college. You know, I rooted for them to do well. So when we moved here, um, my, my son, my son actually said, hey, why don't we just adopt the Jags? So we did, and it's been a little bit of a force, <laughs> to be honest, uh, because you're, you're trying to make yourself really be emotional about it. The turning point was the overtime pick six by Rayshon Jenkins. That, okay. that gave me a little emotion. But then the other night, down, I wasn't angry, like you know, like maybe a lifelong fan would be, but I was like, oh, geez, good night. Five turnovers in the first half, you know, this is over. But the comeback and then realizing and then really having your brain start calculating, okay, there are enough possessions here. Get a stop here. Got a chance. You know, and so it it helped it. But the thing that might have set it over the top, my wife and I were out running errands yesterday. And as we as we were driving down the street, there was a a truck, a a pickup truck that came. It was it was some business or something. And it had a giant mannequin. (laughs) sitting in the bed of the truck up on a throne, right? And it had a Trevor Lawrence jersey on it. So it was like... Did they have a wig on it my at wife least? Said, did it have the long hair? Okay, it good. It did, good. yeah, yeah, it did. It, it did. And my, my wife said, you know, we didn't see that. People didn't drive through the streets of Connecticut with uh, even with a right. Tom Brady uh, mannequin in the back of their truck. That just didn't happen in New England. So, uh, so yeah, it... It helped. But the best text, Matt, I'm sorry to ramble on here, was from Pete the next morning, who was still mockingly thought the Jags had lost. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I had no I, idea. Then, like, when I say no I, idea, no idea. No idea. I got a text that followed up that said, 
oh my God, they won. How <laughs> yeah. did that happen? <laughs> I sent him a text at halftime because I was like, you know, good luck tonight with mm-hmm. your team. And then it didn't go well. And then, then you know, reset a clip of like a fan outside celebrating. I was like, why yeah, is that guy right. so happy? And then I like flipped on my app and I was like, oh my God. So yes, it is, it is the, it is the, the when, when our season ends, I tend to try to rest. So yeah, um, it, it's a good transition to the draft, right, Reese? Now that we're, yeah, uh, we've absolutely. got our Duval out. Yeah, um, yeah. Matt, who are you most excited about? Like who, who gets you fired up in this, in this, uh, in this draft class when you, uh, you obviously follow the sport really closely. Matt's a Texas fan, by the way, Reese. Die, Oops, die in the yeah. wool. So we didn't have to bring that up. Yeah, Come apologies, <laughs> apologies right? for the last decade or so. There's been some moments, um, yeah. but just who who gets you? Uh, you know, when you're watching film, who gets your spine up straight and kind of does the like the gif of the clicker, like right. uh, you know, in the, in the video game? Who, who who gets you going? Well, I can't say Bijan Robinson now because you outed me. So yeah, uh, well, I hey, he's an still, exciting prospect. He still man. does. Yeah, uh, you can yeah. say you can say that for him, you right? Can. Bijan's yeah. fantastic. Uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be fascinating. But I, like, to me, it's it's Will Anderson. You know, I I waited two years to be able to truly evaluate him. You know, you 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 are aware of freshman and sophomore, and you're like, God, that guy's a, a player, especially Will the, the sophomore season he had. And so you you find yourself almost sitting on your hands. You're like, okay, wait, I can't watch him yet. You know, I can't I can't evaluate him yet. He's not he's not eligible. Let me focus on the guys who are. But you you couldn't overlook number thirty one. So I was really excited to to get to break him down this year. And I know there's the talk about you know he took a step back this year. Well, his numbers weren't as good. I still think he was one of the best defensive players in college football. He still has you know the traits that we look for. It's it's so different. My job is because we're not just looking at stats as you guys know. We're looking at do you have the traits to produce those stats that will then translate to the NFL? And I think I think Will has all those, you know, to be a, a potential number one pick, depending on if the Bears keep that selection or trade it out. But, you know, I'm also, you know, a, a big Bryce Young guy. And I know there's going to be questions about size because he's 5'11 and probably will be 200 pounds by the combine. But, you know, I was there in, in Austin to watch them beat Texas and the poise that he has in the pocket. You know, there's a there was a play where they bring a corner blitz on third down and he shrugs it off and, and throws a game clinching throw, basically, uh, to, to Jamar Gibbs out of the backfield. And it's just you don't you don't see poise like that in college quarterbacks. So I, I know going to Alabama players is maybe not that fun, but they're definitely guys that I mean, they look like they're going to be special pros. Matt, I'm going to tell you, I've been saying for a couple of years. And I love Bryce Young, too. In fact, if Bryce were a little bigger, I'd, I would put him in the Andrew Luck uh, thing of, yeah. like, best quarterback I've ever seen. You know, that's the only thing. He, the only thing he's not is he's not big. But I've said this for two years. Anybody that goes into that draft, which I'll be hosting on ABC um, Thursday <laughs> night, and they don't call the name Will Anderson first, they're doing the draft wrong. I, I, right. I believe that. Yeah, I think he's special. I, again, like I said, I, he's my number one player. He has been wire to wire. Um, it, it's everything you want, especially in the way the league's going. You know, you need someone that could chase down quarterbacks, and and he does that at an exceptionally high rate. And you know, almost like Nick Bosa, even when he doesn't get there, he's close. He's making plays. It's pressures. It's hurries. It's hits. You know, he's going to be there to pick up the forced fumble that that changes a game. So it's funny, both Alabama players are going to get hit for size, which you don't expect from a Nick Saban team to be, oh, these guys are a little undersized, but they're both just absolutely amazing. And and to your point, if Bryce Young were bigger, I would be comparing him to Joe Burrow because the poise, the accuracy, just some of that innate ability to play quarterback, it's really special. 
Matt, if you wanted to get invited back on the podcast, like starting your draft analysis with Will Anderson was a really good way to warm yourself <laughs> to Reese. I've been doing research all night. Didn't sleep. We have we have our little joking crushes that we talk about on the pod. Uh, Reese's yeah. is Will Anderson draft crush, and then he has a Drake May crush for next year. That's going to carry on in, in a running joke. He's he's proud of his he's proud of his crushes. Let me let me ask you this: the Will Anderson junior season statistical dip is an interesting. Thing, right like he's yeah. still an elite player his numbers in a vacuum are still really good they just weren't as good as his preposterous numbers when you did break him down was there like an inordinate could you explain that a little bit maybe was there an inordinate amount of attention were, were all the you know line calls shifted to him was he chipped consistently like what what did you think from watching him every play this year contributed to some of that statistical dip yeah, Pete, I think there's there are reasons, obviously, you know, offensive line shifting. Uh, there are some missed tackles on his part that mm-hmm. affected. Uh, and I think if you were going to pull up a negative, it would be he, he needs to come under control a little bit better at, at you know, the point of impact because there are missed tackles. But I think we also like we fall guilty to this in the NFL a lot of. Like, if we were being honest, Tom Brady should probably have like 20 MVPs because he's the best player in football for the last, you know, 20 years until Patrick Mahomes came around. And the same for Mahomes. Like, we, we developed this level of expectation that is impossible to match. You know, Brady throws for 55 touchdowns or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, if he doesn't do that again, he can't be MVP. I feel like Will got a little bit of that. If you had a, a, an historic season as a sophomore and, like that didn't set the level. Like that was a historic season. And instead of celebrating his junior year, people were like, well, he didn't have 17 and a half sacks this year. Well, yeah, he wasn't going to, you know, that's not, it doesn't work that way. He still was incredibly productive. My concern would have been if he completely dropped off, you know, if we saw five sacks this year, or we didn't see the same burst in explosiveness, because then you could start to raise questions about, you know, was this just a magical season or, you know, is he saving himself for the NFL a little bit? I didn't see any of that. I just saw a guy that offenses paid a lot more attention to this year. And, you know, also there's the fact that he he did have some missed tackles in the backfield that really would have boosted it, at least the TFLs, if not the sacks too. Mm-hmm. So you had uh, put, you put up last week. You and your fellow uh, you and your fellow draft uh, experts did a did a pretty cool exercise that I appreciated. Uh, Mel Kiper, Todd McShay, uh, obviously uh, the great Matt Miller and Jordan Reed all put up your your kind of positional rankings. So yeah. I'm glad you're here because you're basically like a fact checker for all the debates recent <laughs> I've had this season. So we're gonna we're gonna make you the arbiter. We're gonna make you the arbiter of the Will Levis argument. All right. Oh yeah, that's a fun um, one. I would I would cast Reese as a modest skeptic of Will Levis because of production. Reese, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, you're but right. That, that, that's that's, that's been the that's yeah. been the tenor. He's obviously a good player. Um, yeah. So when I when I look and see that uh, you have him third, uh, interestingly, Mel has him first, and yeah. uh, you know Reed has him fourth. So I think like right there you have you know some pretty interesting interesting division. What is the attraction? to you know the NFL of, of Will Levis what can he become and and I, I just think he's going to be one of those prospects like he could go third or 33rd right like it's a yeah. it, it's a pretty interesting uh you know it's pretty interesting div- div- modestly divisive guy yeah I mean no it's he's polarizing and I think yeah. you know we'll get into that it'll be fun to, to chop it up and give Mel a hard time about him having him first but I, I look at Will and I was I was all aboard the hype train over the summer you know watching last year's tape was like okay he's gonna cut down on the interceptions we've got this 6'4 230 pound guy with a huge arm and he runs and he's aggressive he climbs the pocket well 
I mean, I was I was ready to go. I was I was strapping up for it, but it, it's just the turnovers drive me crazy with Will, which is why he's third for me, despite you know having the size that Bryce Young doesn't and having the willingness to use his mobility that C.J. Stroud doesn't always show. I know he did against Georgia. So I think the two questions you have about the top two guys, well, Will answers those. It's just the problem that like you can watch him play, you know, an, an average SEC team, and he might go 20 of 24 with two interceptions. And it's just, it's kind of, you know, mind boggling because he, there are so many times he looks fantastic. And then there are so many times you're wondering, like, what is he seeing? And and it's, it's almost that he's not inaccurate. It's that he makes poor decisions. And so that's where I wonder, like, can you fix that? Can you iron that out? Everyone wants to point to Josh Allen, which I, wow. I scouted Josh in person three times while he was at Wyoming. And it's it's different. It was a very different player. Um, but I, I think everybody now sees Josh Allen as the, well, we can fix that. You know, and it's, I think when you try to do that, you end up with Zach Wilson's and you end up with, you know, even Carson Wentz to some degree, who I think is probably what Will Levis is closest to being is a guy who has a little bit of a slow trigger and, and doesn't always see things super quickly and and tries to just win games with his arm. It's, it's a lot of hero ball from him. And I think, yes, there are really good traits that someone could look back in two years and pull this up and, and cold take us on this. But I, I think with the draft, it's almost like investing in a stock and you, you look at the risk factors of, okay, where could this player be? But if they don't hit those markers, where are they at? And that's for me why he's third. I would definitely, and Pete's right, I am a skeptic mostly for the reasons that you have pointed out. But because this league is yeah. quarterback star driven, lower first round, well, I'd take him in a heartbeat if I need the, because he has those traits and there is the capability. Yeah. I agree with you. I had questions. I really like Josh Allen, like him a lot better than Will Levis coming out. But I had questions about Josh simply because he didn't produce against when Wyoming played the upper echelon yeah. he did not he did not necessarily play well I remember one game particularly against Iowa that he yep. he didn't he didn't play well at all now how much of that is attributable to the fact that you know his receivers at Wyoming while certainly good players they wouldn't be division 1 football players might not have matched up against you know the upper echelon of football but it still seemed different watching him it seemed like when you when you watched him it was just can you fix the accuracy a little bit? I have I have more questions uh, about well, far more questions about Levis than than about Allen. But I want to turn it to something else you said with C.J. Stroud. How much did C.J. Stroud? It's only one game. Everything was on the line, and they had to have him do everything to try to win it in mm -hmm. terms of being willing to leave the pocket, run the ball. I don't think he's particularly. Uh, gifted as a runner particularly athletic he's not a bad athlete but he's you know to to suppose that he's some great runner who won't do it is not accurate I don't think right he, but how much did just the the moxie he showed the willingness to sacrifice everything to try to get his team a win and ultimately put them in position to win the game how much did that help him in terms of not only your evaluation but the way he might be perceived by teams yeah I it helped a lot. I mean, he made himself money, you know, to, to put it in, an, in a very digestible sentence. I think he answered a lot of the questions, even you know, like you were saying, Reese, I'm skeptical about Will Levis as well. I think the skeptics about CJ Stroud were pointing to, man, he really doesn't like to move. You know, it's if it's not there, he's thrown it away or he's taking sacks. 
I think that willingness, not to say that he's, you know, Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen as a runner, but to show that, hey, I, I can extend the play. I can create, you know, room with my feet. I can, you know, find those passing windows that are outside the pocket. He almost played a little bit outside the scheme, which is, you know, the biggest question for Ohio State quarterbacks is, well, the scheme's so good that they don't have to get to the third progression and that they don't have to, you know, do this and that. Well, he had to against Georgia because they're so good. You know, he had to move. He had to get to third progression. And I think he showed more of an NFL style game that day. Obviously, we could talk about how talented his receivers are, and that's going to inflate his numbers. The scheme is fantastic as well. But he still has to make the throws. And I, I think that's what sometimes people forget is Marvin Harrison Jr. can be the second coming of Randy Moss, but CJ still has to get the ball there. You know, and he's done that very well. I think his accuracy is incredibly underrated. You know, the way that he can layer the ball in to give guys those run after catch ability. Like that's it's all there. And he, he checks those boxes and has for two years, really. So I think some of the CJ Stroud criticism is not warranted. You know, one of my go-to sayings is scout the player, not the helmet. You know, every Ohio State quarterback is not the same. Obviously, Justin Fields ran for a thousand yards in the NFL. And we're talking about CJ Stroud not wanting to run. So I think you have to put those guys in a bubble. And this you know, scheme is important to understand what they're asked to do. But, you know, try to look at the way CJ throws the ball down the field and, and even intermediately is, I mean, it's, it's beautiful accuracy. Well, this is not a scheme, but uh, coincidentally this morning in my inbox, I saw the Matt Miller way too early look at the top quarterbacks, receivers, <laughs> and defenders in the 2024 draft. What a coincidence. Never too early, boys. Available on ESPN+. Plus. If you don't have Drake May at the top, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> He's way up there. He's way, way up there. Thankfully, I didn't have to put like a number next to the players. Right yeah. now, it's just a list. It's just a watch yeah. list. Who uh, who are you excited about as prospects when you do peek ahead? Who who are some of the most exciting prospects for, uh, for, for next season? And there's obviously a few mainstream guys. Give us a couple off the radar guys, too. I mean, obviously, Drake May. That's what I'm very excited for, uh, just to keep Reese happy. Uh, <laughs> you really want to get invited I, back. I do. I love, you know, it's like everyone has said it. I'm not unique here. It's what, it's Justin Herbert. I mean, it's it's like watching Justin all over again, which is a pretty good thing. He's a pretty good quarterback. Uh, Caleb Williams, obviously, is very mainstream as a returning Heisman winner. I'm excited to see what he can do um, in, you know, another year of that offense. And, and as they build, hopefully, a defense that can support him, I think they could be pretty special. But also in the Pac-12, like Michael Penix going back to Washington is pretty exciting. And Bo Nix going back to Oregon. There will be three, at least three, very good quarterbacks in the Pac-12 that have major draft implications. So as good as like this year is, this is a really good draft class in 2023. Everyone always says, oh, next year's better. I don't know that next year will be better, but it's going to be really, really good. Uh, Joe Alt at Notre Dame at left tackle looks like a, a very special player. His dad obviously played uh, in the NFL. Uh, Olu Fashano going back to Penn State was, I think, the surprise of draft season was a, a projected top 10 pick saying, no, I need to get better. I'm going to go back to you know Penn State for a year. He, he's really young too, isn't he, Matt? He's he is. Like yeah. maybe 19 I think 19. Like yeah. I, I make it, you know – my job to not get involved in those decisions. I'm happy for the player, whatever they decide to do, because, you know, we don't know their situations. That one legitimately surprised me to where, I mean, I had trainers and agents texting me like, what is this guy doing? I'm like, well, he's doing whatever he wants. He's doing what's best for his situation. But I mean, he'll, he'll come into the year as a, a potential top five pick. Same with Jared Verse, who went back to Florida State. You know, he'll be a projected top 10 pick right out of the gate next year. And, and it's exciting to see what those guys can do and build on, honestly. 
any uh, give us give us someone way off the radar who's you know maybe not on your list today that just that just excites you. I have a two part question here. It's fun having Matt here because you can just sort of spitball all the things you're like. Can he be remade <laughs> at Oregon State? He can be. Yeah, you know I think we we saw that this year with Spencer Rattler who had huge draft hype headed into that that last year at Oklahoma uh, when he got benched at the Texas camp for Caleb Williams and everyone thought oh can he remake himself at South Carolina his his problems followed him to South Carolina even though he had a, you know he had a better year uh, there's still the turnovers there's still you know that that style of play is almost being phased out a little bit so yes i think I was a big DJ fan. After that Notre Dame game as freshman year, it was like, this is the guy. You know, that is to be the next great Clemson quarterback. And, you know, I think he's just been held back to some degree by an offensive line that just refuses to get better. Um, Clemson's receivers have dropped off since, you know, what we saw with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. So, yeah, I, I do think it's possible, Pete, that he can go somewhere and, and get a better system around him to accentuate what he does well. Um, for off-the-radar Man, that's that's tough. Um, there's so many guys. I think Leonard Taylor at Miami is probably one that I'm that I've heard the most about from scouts that say this guy was, you know, a five star recruit. He's not played a ton, but you know, kind of that put him in your back pocket because he could blow up if, you know, if everything ends up right. So Miami, uh, I like where things are going down there. I, I think they're recruiting very well, as you guys know. Um, but I think Leonard Taylor is a name to to kind of store away. If we see the U you know, have a resurgence, it'll probably be the defense that leads it, or at least the trenches. So he's someone I'm watching. Matt, what do you, what do you think about Tyler Van Dyke? He was a guy before the season who who shot up on radars and and then obviously didn't have a great season. Do, do you think he can regain his trajectory? Salvageable, yeah. I think we saw it over the second half of the season. You know, it, it feels like I'm a big Mario Cristobal fan. I think he's a fantastic coach. It feels like they brought a scheme that didn't fit Van Dyke and they realized that about week six and they started to try to change some things and there were some positive results so I think that's that's something they have to figure out over the over the summer is what does this offense look like you know what how do we change things if Tyler's going to be our guy how do we better support him um, but also just you know growing up that team around them they were incredibly young um, so I, I think salvageable is a, a good word. I was happy to see him go back to college. I know there was conversations about him entering the draft. Was happy to see that he stayed at Miami, honestly, instead of hitting the portal and trying to find, you know, maybe a better situation for 2023. He, you know, staying where he's at and, and trying to improve there. Matt, this is uh, this has been fun. Have we been sufficiently welcoming that if we ask you back at some point before the draft, you'll be willing to return? Only if we could talk about Drake May. I, I <laughs> <laughs> this could become a Drake May podcast. It it could quickly. Well, well, now don't don't do this because see, here's what's going to happen. I have this theory, Matt, that I've shared with Pete. Like if you tell somebody how great a movie is, or how great a restaurant is, or how great something is, you subconsciously start rooting against it, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do I don't want to do that either to myself about Drake May or to the people out there because from everything I and I don't I don't know him well I've actually met his grandfather know his brothers um, but he, he's a good guy I would hate to make people root against him so I, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to temper my quarterback crush a little bit over the course of the next year it, it's for his own good you know right yeah I'm doing the same thing with Arch Manning so right, I understand okay. I'm trying to try not to get too excited about Arch 
you know, who knows if he's going to play this year, but I, I understand where you're at of you want to, you want to enjoy it quietly sometimes. Right. Yeah. It's, that's, that's what we'll do. So on the next podcast, Pete, the next time we have Matt on, now that we've suckered him in, we'll go, should Quinn Ewers be benched in favor of Arch Manning? Oh, yeah. before what, did, what did you think wait. of no, the did. spring practice clips eight that Texas released on their website? Did you think right. he, that, that, that six yard right. out he threw, do you think he should be the starter? <laughs> Yeah, can he get the ball to Xavier Worthy yes. down the field? That, these are the questions I'll be I'll be camping out watching over the summer. Yeah, uh, Matt, this was great fun. Thanks for being with us. Really appreciate you, Pete. Great talking to you again. Um, uh, make sure everybody in the Thamel household uh, gets back to one hundred percent health. There's there's a lot of news to be followed over the next few days. And thank you for listening. We're going to continue to do this throughout the offseason and also leading up to the draft. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. You can download it wherever it is you prefer to get your podcast.